Welcome to Listening with Leaders. I'm Doug Noel, lawyer turned peacemaker. I teach executive leaders how to listen to emotions rather than words so that they can become the leaders everyone wants to follow. And I teach those same leaders how to be authentically present, available, and connected to their families, despite being insanely busy. I have learned that we are 98% emotional and only 2% rational. Learning how to listen to emotions is, in my experience, the foundational skill of life. Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Jen McCabe, welcome to Listening with Leaders. You are a consulting partner and board member of Armanino.com. Thanks for being here. Fun. Can't wait. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, let's start with your, you, you lead two as I understand it, you lead two lives. One life is as the corporate person, finance person, highly trained, highly skilled, CEO level person. And the other completely different life is as a mountaineer and an outdoors woman. Completely different life. Somewhat. I'm Tell old now, Doug. Uh, <laughs> as am I. And many things that we did 40 years ago, we can't do today. That's correct. That's correct. I, I, um, I do love being outside. I still, I would say that the thing I do the most outside now is skiing, hiking. I love the mountains. I grew up in Colorado, so it goes with the territory. Um, and then and my professional life was uh, just making sure I had enough money to do those things. So you can't do all the fun outdoor stuff that you want to do without buying skis, lift tickets, I did triathlon. You have to buy a bike. And of course, it costs a bajillion dollars. Um, and, you know, you have to have the best, lightest pedals. And if you're going to run, you'd think that would be cheap. But no, you need a heart rate monitor and you need really great shoes and you run them into the ground every couple of weeks. So uh, I on our website, there's I, I say all the time, work hard, play hard, which has become something that a lot of people say. Uh, in my case, it's absolutely true. I work, I'm famous actually for working too hard. Um, you know, this work-life balance to me is ridiculous. If if I have to have work-life balance, it means I'm going to have to play really hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so interesting to hear you express that because that's exactly what I did for the first 30 years of my career when I was a trial lawyer. I didn't like being a trial lawyer. But I love skiing and climbing and whitewater and and everything that here in California and the Central Sierra Nevada affords. And all I I was just a lawyer to pay the bills. I don't understand how you could be a trial lawyer when you're about peacemaking. I I there's did a, my prep on you, Doug. There's a story which this, I, we will we will schedule another call and I will tell you the story. <laughs> it's <laughs> not computing. I know it didn't compete for me either, but it's a long yeah. story. We'll we'll have another chat about that. So tell us a little bit about your career, because this is about you, not about me. Um, how do you how do you get started in in, in the financial sector, accounting, and 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 then uh, you had your own company for twenty five years, and then you sold it, and that was yeah tribulation trials and tribulations. What happened? Yes, uh, all of it's an accident. And I'm, I am a really hard worker. And I say to kids who are graduating from school, be really careful about your first job. If you're a hard worker, you're going to be good at it. 
And if you're good at it, you're going to keep advancing in that career. And it gets harder and harder to change course. You also know that. Um, and in my case, I loved macroeconomics. I still love macroeconomics. You know, I eagerly read the Wall Street. I'm excited about today what's happening in our economy because it's fascinating and different. Uh, I love reading. I love writing and history. I, it's crazy that I'm in a financial field. I don't really love the details. You know, debits and credits are really not that fascinating to me. But I had an economics degree. I worked in Washington, D.C. on the Senate Budget Committee for a little bit. And that got me moving toward a financial job. And then I got a job in the accounting department at an advertising agency, a big one. And so that was a blast. The people were a blast. So I ended up doing accounting because I was in a really fun company. And they let me work. It was a big agency that owned all these little production companies. And they would go out and acquire one. And I would get to work on that. And I discovered in the process of working on the big stuff, you know, the big agency stuff, technology implementations across the country back when, you know, we didn't even really have email when I started my career. Okay. So I'm talking the way back machine. We didn't have electric typewriters when I started my career. No, I, I, <laughs> I put myself through college with the carbon copy CC, you uh, know? Uh -huh. So, to, you know, I did technology and I found that I really loved the businesses that we acquired and were building. So I worked for Ogilvy and Mather and we would go and acquire. And the guys who were running these companies that had 10 people, 20 people, working with the guy who was paid and incentivized to build that and turn it into something was way more fun than the big agency was. It was, it was uh, everything I did had impact. So I then moved to a cash management job in banking, really more for the money because I needed to go to school at night. I had kids and dogs and banking is a nine to five job and advertising was until the midnight hours kind of job. So I had time to go to school at night because it was just a nine to five job and I'm the kind of person who's all the time. So I hated it. It was so boring and the people were boring. And, you know, I had a boss who wore a navy blue suit to work every single day. I mean, it was not for me. So when I dropped out of that, I decided to start my own company. I was becoming a triathlete. If you know anything about that sport, like 70% of the people are self-employed because you have to train all the time. I had two little kids. Uh, so I ended up being self-employed just because I wanted to build other people's businesses. Uh, back then, my entire aim was to kill bookkeeping because I think it's irresponsible to do it. I, bookkeeping is unlicensed and uninsured. People don't know that. And I thought, okay, I want every small business, every person out there to have access to proper accounting and guidance at a high level. And that just sort of back then, I, you would do business plans to raise money, you know, go down to Kinko's. Do you remember Kinko's and make copies, right? Santa Barbara. <laughs> yes. And I would make copies and then I would do these startups and I would take them all the way to exit. And so I did that for 28 years and built a great team. And then um, I got really lucky. I was talking to various suitors, big firms, some of whom I would have died because I had built a team of pirates. It was the island of misfits. It was 
<laughs> want to I mean, we our our annual event was going to the local skydiving center so that everybody could skydive at least once when they worked for me. And our team retreat was Austin City Limits. It was it was a rebellious little company with a funny culture, and we weren't going to fit in just anywhere. And Armanino came along, and it was definitely a match made in heaven for me because it's a fast moving growing firm and it has a growth culture. So when our clients come to us and I still do all the outsourcing stuff here and they say, what do I do? I want to grow this. I want to make more money. Um, They're looking for somebody to be an innovative part of their life, not just a vendor, but someone who can bring HR and payroll and finance and accounting. And um, Armanino brings tech, tech and talent both. So it's a blast. We're working, I have business ADD. I'm working with tons of clients all the time. And uh, my macroeconomic yen is is currently being itched by this COVID relief stuff. Hmm. Because if you think about COVID, it had a a very macroeconomic impact that you're still seeing today. You and I are sitting here in the middle of uh, interest rates and bank failures, which is just inconceivable. Right. And, and and a whole bunch of other stuff too. I mean, yes. I mean, the economy is the economy going in recession, or is it going to continue to go? And nobody knows. That's right. One of the reasons I sold my company, ironically, was I I, I just had my birthday on Friday night, and you know, seventeen people came from all over the place who used to work for me. They still have a strong connection to each other, a strong fraternity, and. One of the reasons I sold my company was I didn't want anyone to ever report to me again because I knew everybody's mom and their dog and, you know, the burden of it and the reward of it both. It just came all together. But last year I got put in charge of people, as they call it, for my part of the firm. And this economy is crazy. Labor. So my, my people side that I really love, I love the people that I work with so much. I mean, part of the reason I love my job is I have unbelievable partners here. Like after running a company by yourself and being lonely and then suddenly having partners that are awesome, but having all these people and trying to take care of them in a time like today is the biggest stress for me, for sure. Wow. The worry. Is that just because of the uncertainty that we don't, just don't know what's going to happen? Yeah. Do we have enough people? Do we have too many people? Are we going to have a recession? Am I going to have too, not enough people? But right now, um, there's this weird thing going on where people are burnt out and yet they're working at home. Yeah. And to me, that means that working at home and rolling out of the sack and not even taking a shower before you go to work and then working until you face plant on your your keyboard while you're watching Stephen Colbert, it doesn't make for life balance. We actually need to get ourselves out of our houses and commune. We are herd beasts. And I, I think there's something going on there that is very human and, and having incredible macroeconomic impact. So I'm, I'm currently like pretty voracious about reading material on what CEOs are doing to engage their people. I'm in a people business. I'm a consultant. 
Yeah. I, I'm, I'm selling my flesh and my brain. <laughs> so I need to understand what is happening with people. The sense I get is that there are, there is a small percentage of CEOs that get this and are working hard at developing their skills to connect with their people. And there's a whole bunch of other people that don't get it. It's still command and control. It's still ivory tower, you know, the executive suite. I call that the ebony tower, Doug. The what now? Ebony tower. Ebony tower. Not the ivory. Yeah, there you go. Ebony tower. I'll take that. Uh, and I think that the, I think those people are going to be in for a rude awakening. We've already seen the great resignation. And the reason for that, of course, is it's been well reported that people live because of bad bosses. Yes, that's right. Yeah. We are. I'm, I'm here uh, today at a team event. We're spending our money flying people in to be together, to force them to press the flesh, as we used to be able to say. Right. And we are trying so hard to get people to know each other. And, um, you know, you and I are on Zoom right now, and I'm I'm what they call market facing here. I'm out there. It's hilarious that they do that. I'm just doing what is fun for me. I love meeting people. I, I like going into a room where I don't know a single person. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite thing. I just can't wait to see who I'm going to know, right? You are an extrovert. Yeah, definitely. And I have fun. I, I went to three high schools, so I, I had to become an extrovert. I would have been eating my lunch alone. Right. So I I find that when I do during the pandemic, we did networking events on zoom and I stopped here. I am an extrovert, a social person. I hated it. After about a year, I found that I felt I was less memorable and I certainly wasn't remembering anybody. I, you know, I don't think people notice me. I am much shorter than people think, you know, so they probably look right past me. I'd like to say you have a strong power to weight ratio. Yeah. <laughs> I just think now that I'm out there in the world and I'm networking and I'm meeting my people, not just the market, but I'm meeting my people. I, 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 I'm making a connection that, that is memorable. It's not that you don't connect on Zoom. I think that you can. I do. We can have a great conversation and have fun. I'm not sure we're going to have the same human connection that we have when we're in person. That's just what happens at work here. When you rub elbows with someone and you work all night long and you have to order a pizza because work sucks and it won't end. Well, you remember the night that you had pizza. You remember how a person made you feel. Right. Not what they said. So what is you think that's unique about what you bring to the table for Armenino? Oh, well, um, I'm, I'm not very uh, between the lines, let's say. <laughs> so um, I cuss too much. I make my boss, Matt Armenino, absolutely a nervous wreck. When I'm speaking publicly, he's like, Please, 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 no cuss words. Just practice, for, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm not very well behaved. So what, what happens is people describe me as blunt, forthright, uh, transparent is as nice as it gets. 
but um, I also genuinely like people. I, I, I really enjoy human companionship. Uh, not to say I don't enjoy my alone time too. Ask my husband, like, honey, don't talk to me. But um, I, I think that's, that's my, my, my magic stuff. I'm not just here. I'm actually here and having a great time. I, I work so much, Doug, I work so much that it has to be fun. And if it doesn't feel fun, I have the ability to make it fun to laugh at myself, to make fun of myself. And so people will enjoy having me there because I will snort laugh and, and make, make fun of like when, when the going gets, you know, tough, I'm the one who's going to go, okay, let's just remember we're not brain surgeons here. Let's just, so I think that's probably what I bring. I bring a sense of humor and a sense of fun to what is a very hard job. My job is hard. What makes your job hard? Um, deadlines, multiple clients. Here's the thing about other people's money. All right, think about the stress that money puts on your life. The money is a stressor. Money makes people get divorces. Oh, true. And when parents die, siblings who had got, gotten along their whole lives I, suddenly have to hire lawyers to sue each other. Or they hire a peacemaker like me. Right, right. Money is an incredible stressor. Mm -hmm. People who enter my field do it because they think they're going to like debits and credits and it's black and white. Yes, the kids who start here, why'd you, why'd you choose accounting? Well, it's always a right answer. It's black and white. I'm thinking, good heavens. Because money is emotional. And most people who enter this field don't underestimate how their clients are going to react to their data. This is not just data. This is information. And it makes it stressful. And so I work with a lot of very metric people. And as one of the communicators here, very often it falls to me to communicate when it's tough news or when we're trying to explain so to someone the value of having someone who does this work well versus the cheap answer or something. So selling is a very emotional prospect sometimes and handling problems is emotional. And then there's just the volume of work. I, don't, I mean, I'm sure you're seeing that there are less people coming into the workforce every year Right. And accounting is a tough job with multiple deadlines and other people's money. And it's it's just becoming harder. So it's volume of work. I got it. I teach <clears throat> I teach my students that we're 98 percent emotional and only two percent rational. I 100 percent agree. Not 98 percent, 100 percent. Well, right there. I, I, I put that in just so that. Those yeah. who are, believe in the myth of rationality feel a little soothed. No, we're, we're, we're every decision we make is emotional. Every single action is emotional. It's all based on emotion. And um, what's amazing to me is that people are not trained or don't take the time to learn how to train in emotional competency and learn and learn how to deal with people who are emotional. For example, yeah. you deliver bad news to somebody, you're going to get an emotional reaction. 
How do you plan for that? And what do you say in response to that emotionality? I and teach that. I'm sure not as good as well as you, you do. But um, one of my rules, so I, you talk about listening in your work. I do. Um, it's part, you know, I said part of the reason I sold my company was I was just fried. I had, a, I truly had a flat organization. I didn't let anyone have a title, mm-hmm. which meant everybody reported to me and had access to me 24 seven. And it was lovely and romantic and really hard for me. But to be a boss in those circumstances, you have to measure the, when do I command and control, which was not very often, but when I did it, everybody paid attention because it was like, wow, you know, who's that? Because the rest of the time I was reading books on how to supervise millennials. Uh, You know, what do I do now? I've got all these kids who've never dialed a rotary phone. Oh my God. How come they're not doing their work? yeah. I spent a lot of time, I would, you call it listening. I called it studying my colleagues, like okay. really learning where they came from, asking them a lot of questions about their family. Like I said, knowing their dogs' names. Um, I, by listening to my staff, I learned that many of them had come to LA and missed their folks. I hired a lot of people just out of school. Um, in the first 10 years of their career, they weren't married. And so I learned that one of the big recruiting things I could do is to fly their moms in on Mother's Day or fly them to see their mom on Mother's Day. How cool is that? Well, yeah, you know that that's less than 500 bucks. Yeah. Right. It's, it's just listening. And I had guys who love skiing. Well, it was nothing, you know, a season pass is less than a bonus and more meaningful. So listening to me was, um, it was a strategy for keeping my staff, which then made client service great because I didn't have turnover. You know, we had this, this team. And then the thing I had, I had a couple really, one gal is still with me. And if she listens to this, she'll know who she is. So she's very metric. And she's like, how, how is it, you know, when we, when we go to a networking event, I hate that term. She's always like, come with me, come with me. Cause she wants to be my wingman and I'm pushing her out in front, you know? And I said to her, listen, when you talk to someone and you're asking them questions about themselves, so you don't have to worry about how you feel. It's partly you can hide, you know, it's it, first of all, you're going to find something you like about them. If you dig deeply enough, you're going to find something in common with them. And that'll, make you memorable and you'll remember them. But when you're doing it, try to think about what they're feeling, not what they're saying. When you're talking to someone, think about what they're feeling. And I always remind myself that the later at 20 years, like my birthday party last week, those people were not there because they remembered. They all said, oh, you taught me so much, but that's not really it. They might remember one thing I taught them. What they remember was how I made them feel, whether that was safe or empowered or like they were smart enough to go get another great job. Validated. Yeah. They remembered that I laughed with them or that at work we had great, funny, funny times together. I welcomed them into the professional world. That's what I tried to do. I hope that's how they felt. I think that you you are... Uh, elucidating exactly what I teach, 
and all the reasons why everybody needs to learn these skills. Because in my experience, there are very few people who ever feel like they've been heard. They very rarely feel safe. They very rarely feel like they're validated. And if you want to become, if you want to become the leader that everyone wants to follow, that's your job. I mean, the three psychological functions of a leader are focus, direction, and safety. Wait a second. Focus, direction, focus, direction and, and safety. safety. Yeah. I, that yeah. Kind of, yeah. Um, that so I find that here's a little more common here, maybe just for me. Um, I'm, that's why I say it's a match made in heaven. It's hard to be the boss of Jen McCabe. <laughs> and I, I i take you up skiing let's go to mammoth and do it yeah <laughs> Talk just, about I, stuff on the easy. I prob and i would probably be a real pain in the ass if i didn't feel heard and when i don't feel heard i'm a pain they, I've, got, I've got a guy that i'm talking to in toronto who there he was a partner with another guy and they sold their business to a big hedge fund and he said, you got to do this, 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 and this. They completely ignored him. Now the crisis came up, as he predicted. I said, I told you. Well, you got to fix it. He said, I'm not going to fix it. It's your problem. And uh -huh. he resigned his position from management and just went back into sales. Yes. They refused to listen to him. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, I bellyache and I pound on the tables until I get what I want here. And it's a big business. So it sometimes takes me a couple years, you know, but eventually I Yes, but <laughs> but I am. But even if I don't feel, uh, I guess it's listened to. I think they hear me, but they're not necessarily listening sometimes. But eventually they do. Um, and there's we do a pretty good job around here. I hope anyway. I get a lot of leadership that makes me feel safe. Right. I have the greatest bosses I've ever had. Yeah, well, that's the secret. You know, if you can listen to people, and they feel heard. They can still disagree with you, but they'll be perfectly happy. Yeah. Because they've been heard. They've been yeah. validated. That's all they want. And I think the mistake that a lot of leaders make is they don't take the time to do that. And consequently, when they make a decision and there's some dissent, now they're dealing with passive aggressive behavior and resentment and anger. And, you know, it's all comes down to did you take the time to listen to everybody and make sure they from their frame of reference. I, I talk about listening from the speaker's frame of reference. And it's critical. Yeah. It's we do things here. I'm not sure we do a very good job. As you're talking, I'm thinking about this. We do surveys of our staff, mm -hmm. informal and formal, both. Like, I wonder what everybody thought about that meeting. Or what do you think about Armenino's culture or work-life balance? You know, big existential kind of questions. Um, and we read, I do, gosh, we'll get a thousand responses. And I sit down and I make myself read every, every when anybody goes to the extent of actually writing, mm -hmm. you know, it says add here. I mm -hmm. read every single one. And so do the other leaders that I work with. And it, we beat ourselves up over it. What we don't do well is then explain to the teams that we read their comments, that we're doing our best. Because I don't think some of the things we're grappling with are fixable. If we've got 3,000 people and we're trying to figure out how to get everyone back to work, and, and you know, as well as anybody, utilization in this, in this whole country is down. Way down. Product, productivity is down. Yeah. You know, people are working at home. What's happening? They think they're working harder than they've ever worked. And we have the math, all of us, to show that productivity is down. 
we're grappling with these huge issues. So we get the data. We don't really know what to do because nobody knows what to do yet. We're at a, a really important time in history, economically, in my opinion. We don't do a good job of then transparently communicating to our staff enough that we got it. We heard you. We don't know what the hell we're doing. <laughs> we're doing our best. And that, and that is probably the most important message you can give to your employees. Yes. We don't know what we're doing. We're doing our best. We're going to do the best we can to figure it out. We're all ears. If anybody has any ideas. Yes. Yes. I think, exactly I think that kind of honesty and vulnerability goes miles in terms of building trust and loyalty with people. Yes. It's when you try to BS your way through your ignorance that you get into trouble. Yes. I don't think we're BSing um, ever. I, I really don't. It, it, no, I'm not suggesting you are. It's just well, that's a tendency for many people is to do that. I think we make mistakes and I, I do anyway. And I'll say, oh, this is what we're going to do. It's going to be great. 2023, this is what we're going to do. And I think I said that at the end of last year. Well, some of that hasn't happened. And I don't know if my team is like, oh, she was total full of it. You know, what they don't know sometimes, some of them do know that talk to me about it. I tell them right up front. But when you have that many people that you that work for you, it's hard to tell everyone, especially when they're not in the office. Right, because you're uh, you guys are all still pretty virtual. Well, hybrid, and um, of course, some of our staff are just like whatever hybrid. I'm not coming in. No one's ever going to know. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I can't imagine. I, where your offices are in Los Angeles? We have five offices in LA and three or four in Northern California. We got offices all over the country. Okay. National firm. Uh, my office is in Southern California when I'm there, when I'm not a road show pony. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, the nice thing about working virtually is you don't have to fight the freeways, right? Yeah, that is the thing in L.A. that makes people, even me, right. want to stay at home. I grew, up, I grew up down there. That's why I don't live there anymore. That's why I live up in the rural California. Oh, it's insane. Yeah, no, I grew up in San Marino, and I remember even growing up. Taking the Pasadena freeway into downtown LA, and it would—it was awful. It can be bad. It it really can be, and it's it it changes your life. So now I'll tell you, I have loved my commute time. I now do my podcast listening. I listen to my book. I I turn it into me time, mm -hmm. and it it forces a separation for me. I leave work, and it's a little bit harder for me to reopen the computer. I don't leave work till seven, eight at night, but at least I stop. Right. You know, if I'm at home, I'll work till nine or 10. Oh, I used to do that. I don't anymore. Yeah, I'm, I, I, hard stop. Stop. I try to hard stop at five. Then, then from five to six or five to six thirty, I pick up my violin. I play jazz violin. Wow. So I play my violin for a while and then I'm ready for whiskey and my wife. Ah, I'm <laughs> jealous. I, my passion is reading and um, puzzles. I love mm -hmm. puzzles. But now I've got the audible, so I'm doing the puzzle. And my husband just says to me, well, you have an addictive personality. You can't sit still. You have to do two things at once. At least you're not drinking too much. <laughs> I'll count my blessings. Good for you. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're about out of time. I have one more question for you. What's the one thing that we would never guess about you unless you revealed it to us? Um, I once won a hot dog eating contest at Dodger Stadium. No kidding. <laughs> yeah that's one of that i saved that one for the two truths and a lie 
Oh, okay. Yeah. So no one ever gets it. Was 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 it at a ball game? Did the Big Blue win? Yeah. And the Big Blue won. Um, I used to be a crazy Dodgers fan. I can't remember. Oh. I mean, I was I never got to see the game because they had us over from the second inning on. Oh, uh, over at the side, and they would film us as they were switching, and they, you know, but they wanted to get it over with by the seventh inning stretch, you know, oh. and you won. Good for you. Yes, <laughs> yes, against a really big guy at the end. It got wow. you know there was like thirty people and. My guess is you're not competitive at all. No, I actually, <laughs> let me tell you, I am competitive, but also I didn't cheat. I wasn't dunking it in beer. I was just eating it and saying, can I have more mustard, please? I come from a family of really big people and big eaters. Um, there is a huge, huge person in here that I have to fight all the time. I love eating. I love overeating. Oh, there you go. So that's why you train so hard. Yes. Well, Jane, thank you. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for, for spending time with me. I really appreciated the interview. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's fun. Doug Knoll here. Thank you so much for listening to Listening with Leaders. If you are a successful executive leader who would like to be on this program, please visit podcast.dougnoll.com slash podcast. If you got something out of this interview, would you please share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on the social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag listening with leaders. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to my website, dougnoll.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. That's at Douglas E. Knoll. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next show.